Welcome to All Things Tibet, a podcast hosted by Taylor and Brittany. We'll be coming to you with brand new episodes every Tuesday. If you want to tweet along as you listen, feel free to use the hashtag AllThingsTibetPod. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. This is All Things Tibet Podcast, episode 13. I'm Brittany. I'm Taylor. Today we are talking about season one, episode nine, Listen Up. Ooh. So. I really wish we didn't have to. Yeah, it's a rough one. It's a rough one. We're getting into the, we're getting into the rough stuff. Oh yeah. So one thing I want to mention about season one of the L Word, I often forget that there was this whole other theme song. Yeah, me too. That like it's just so different from the theme song that we know. That start that starts up in season two, right? Yeah, yeah. Fun so, fact: I literally forget about it so consistently. I forgot about it until you just mentioned it, like yeah. this very second. So yeah, yeah. So this episode for Tina and Bet starts out with them going into group therapy, and the first shot that we actually see is one of the like sweeter moments of them and I feel like in the entire series when you know Bet's really hesitant she doesn't want to go in and she kind of leans over and kisses Tina's belly talking Mm -hmm. talking to the baby Mm -hmm. it was very sweet I also thought it was kind of it was kind of cute because we see not in like a bad way but we kind of see Tina strong-arming Bet for once oh yeah Where she's kind of like, oh, yeah, I mean, you know, we can just walk in there and then we can stand up in the middle and be like, sorry, we think we're better than you. So we're just going to leave. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's kind of like one of the first times we recognize that Tina recognizes that that can be very pretentious. Like, yes. Yeah, one of the notes I put uh, when watching that episode is that this is full proof that that would do anything for Tina. Yeah. Because she does not want to go to group therapy, like even more so than she didn't want to go to couples therapy. Yeah. But that Tina continues and and we know her to be Beth's like grounding force in her life. Absolutely. Like bringing her back to reality. Like there's a reason why we're doing this. Um, It's important. (laughs) Yeah. And I think now that you say that, I think part of the reason things start to unravel so quickly from here on is that Bet begins to reject that grounding. Mm-hmm. We see it mm-hmm. physically in this episode. You know, yep. she, I mean, she does it emotionally too, obviously, but even physically in this episode, she's leaning away from her. She's trying to get away. Like she won't even let Tina put a hand on her back to just casually comfort her. So yeah. For whatever reason, Bet is not, she is in a place where she will not let herself be comforted. Sure. Well, and it, to me, it, it makes sense because Bet, from what we know about her, that's it, true with her relationship with her father and then this abandonment with her mother. I don't think she spent a whole lot of time growing up talking about her feelings, right? So this this idea that she not only has to talk about her feelings, but she has to talk about her feelings in front of complete strangers. Yeah. Like, like strangers need to know that like Bette Porter isn't like a hundred percent put together. I think that's terrifying for her. Yeah. And I agree. I think like one of the notes I put is like, could Bette have been any more uncomfortable? 
any, any no. possibly any more uncomfortable. I don't think it was possible. Like even when she's rolling her eyes at Tina, when Tina says that like the thing that they're most afraid of is that Melvin is reject, you know, Melvin rejects their child. Yeah. It's amazing to me how the minute they walked into that room, Tina, it, it was almost like Tina became the enemy. Like it suddenly yeah. wasn't her and Tina. Tina was like, she was not, she, she was treating Tina as if Tina was not for her or for their relationship. Yeah. Which is weird because Tina almost did the opposite. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it was interesting that like, uh, what is that? Is it Oscar? Who's the guy that works at Hector? Mm -hmm. The calls her out at the end and is like, why do you keep saying we? Like you and Bet haven't even had a chance to talk about this yet. Yeah. How do you know how Bet feels? Sure. So Tina kind of overcompensates in the other direction and so badly wants bet to be in this experience with her and is so unaccustomed at this point to speaking her own feelings Mm -hmm. for herself that she doesn't know how to say i feel or i liked this or i needed this anymore that it's just bet and i we 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 she doesn't know how to use the singular first person anymore it's so true it's so true and and in a way like again i i it, it sucks that the affair happened and that but we've talked about this before that like I feel like that is something, something major had to happen between them for Tina to really step out on her own and gain that independence. And I, I can really appreciate, you know, even when Tina, you know, isn't in her finest moments, even in season three, she's standing on her own two feet. And in season one, we see her almost just like this attachment of Bet, like just like this, this other piece that Bet just kind of carries around and I think Tina really thrives. And that's why we love her so much in season four and five, because she is really coming to her own. Oh, uh, yeah. Whereas I feel like in season one, it's like we always say, like it, that Tina's hard to recognize, knowing how much she grows throughout the series. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the moments that was really telling was, which I have to give props, and I had to look this up, because there were so many little character moments that both in the writing and the directing that I was like, I need to know who wrote and directed this episode. Because like the fact that Dan lands on Tina for the question, like sometimes I keep myself passive when. Yeah. And I literally wrote in my notes, (laughs) me screaming, always Tina, you always do. Right. But just the sort of mastery in just that, question landing on her because we don't need her to answer it it just makes us go oh my god yeah always and i don't even remember what she said oh i do remember what she said it was that bet makes all the financial decisions and i really want to know how that sentence was going to end and fuck you dan for cutting her off because First of all, I feel like that's, I like, I get that it was the exercise and it was supposed to be like a train of thought thing, but I kind of feel like that's a bit of a therapy no-no. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like if you're in therapy and your patient is talking, even if it violates the exercise a little bit, you let them keep talking. Right. 
especially if there's someone that like doesn't share their thoughts and feelings that easily sure but she said like letting bet make all the financial decisions even though we agreed that and then dan cuts her off and i really wish we knew what like the original agreement was i i would assume if i had to give my best guess i would say that what that rush that sentence was probably going to be was that like it was going to be something along the lines of we agreed that even though i'm not working like the money is still equally ours or right something about like her no longer contributing to the household right because they kind of they touch on that in season two when they're yeah divvying up you know when they're going through that essentially a divorce between lawyers yeah. what i can appreciate about dan though with them with, with tina and bet is that and especially with bet is that he's not afraid to ask her or tell her or you know state the obvious and the things that bet certainly doesn't want to hear oh, you know yeah. when she says that she's you know she's concerned that she won't be a good enough provider and dan says eventually it'll be easier for you to say what you really mean. Yes. I loved that so much. I was like, yes, Dan. Yes. Go. Yes. yes. I think Dan is a great therapist for bet to be uh, honest. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then kind of, as we progress through the episode, we get to that moment where the group in, in group therapy, they're laying on the ground. And um, of course, bet has this, back and forth throughout majority of the episode with the other woman that's in therapy boy uh what's her name i can't even remember her name yolanda I think, yes right? yolanda yep and what i thought was hilarious is that for anybody here who's ever listened to a jennifer beals interview regarding the l word the thing she always says is that when doing this show she always thinks of the girl in the midwest who yep. is closeted who hasn't yep. come out to her family who's looking for some representation on television and sure enough she makes that same kind of just like that same description of some girl in the midwest wasn't going to trust her baby to put her up for adoption to two lesbians i and i hadn't noticed that before but i certainly didn't notice it this time around watching it yeah, I noticed that too. I thought that was hilarious. I was like, oh, Rose, I see what you did there. Yeah. yeah. I love you for that. That yeah. might have been the moment that made me look it up, actually, because I was like, season one, not even like that's pretty early to be putting something like that. Like, that's a smart writer. I need to know who that was. Yeah. So, yeah, it really, it makes me wonder, did did jennifer hold on to that line of bets to use in interviews or was that influenced by something that jen had said because i don't know at that point if she had used that but so many interviews we see her do with the l word she goes back to that you know there's a girl in the midwest who's looking for representation on television who's not out to her family you know i feel like rose probably took it from jennifer could have been because I feel like, I don't know why, I feel like Jennifer said that in, like, a meeting with Rose and Eileen. Mm. And Rose just, like, subtly wrote it down in a notebook. Right. And then was writing the script for this episode and just snuck that in there. And yep. was like, I'm going to make this come out of Jennifer's mouth. And she's mm. going to give me a glare. And it's going to be hilarious. Yeah. 
And you had referenced that, you know, Hector kind of called Tina out on the fact that she said we, when she hadn't even had a chance to talk about, about how she felt about yeah. this group therapy and you know session. What, you know what I think is kind of interesting that I actually, this is genuinely a question, like I have no idea what side of this I fall on, is I really want to know if the Melvin thing, because she says that like, Bet and I, mm-hmm. again, Bet and I are worried that Melvin won't accept our child. And I can't tell if that is genuinely Tina's fear or if she is trying to read Bet and guess mm-hmm. what Bet's fear is. Right. Yeah. I mean, it could be both. Yeah. Because it definitely affected her when Melvin said it, but she also knows that it clearly affected Bet. Mm-hmm. But I, I wonder like what her intention was in that moment. I mean, knowing Tina, my guess would be probably more trying to guess what Bet's was. Sure. But yeah, I just thought it was kind of interesting because I couldn't tell. Which I guess is the problem when you're trying to speak for you and your partner. Well, and I think one of the areas that we continue to see plot holes in is like, there is so much of this fixation on Beth's father, Melvin, his involvement in their life and the baby's life, acceptance, yada, yada. But like Tina, somehow it never comes up that her parent, her parents aren't going to have any involvement in this child's life. Yeah, what do your parents think of this, Tina? (laughs) Yeah, it's just kind of mind-blowing. Yeah. So when we move on from group therapy and they're kind of in their bedroom and Tina's doing some research on Yolanda, some of the notes I just made there are, I love when Laura wears her hair back like that because we really don't ever see her with her hair back like that often. I just, I love that look on her. And one of the things I'm not, I don't know that we've talked about it, but season one they often referred to each other as baby and Mm -hmm. we don't really see that beyond season one again do we that's true i hadn't thought of that i mean we see it when tina's water breaks and beck comes into the bathroom and says she calls her baby and some i can't remember exactly what the line is but that's not as frequent for them after season one no and like it i feel like of a sort well no i don't know that it does i feel like the affection comes back in season six but i don't know that the pet names do per se and it's nowhere near to the point that it was in season one oh yeah absolutely yeah and so we come back to this like the next group therapy session and and as we know i have one more okay Acknowledging that, like, I am literally the last person in the world who is qualified to talk about this topic, I do think that this is kind of an interesting thing, an interesting kind of thing for Tina. And I think it would, I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about it because Mm -hmm. there is a lot of race stuff going on in this episode. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think Tina's kind of blunder in this episode is that I think she's doing that thing that a lot of white partners of people of color do 
where they like they have really good intentions Mm -hmm. and they really want to understand and they want to be there and they want to support their partner but they go a little bit too far and are like this is our fight but it's not Mm -hmm. like you are not the one who's like body is being racialized Mm -hmm. and i do think that tina does make that mistake a little bit and that she's like you know she does go well she's attacking us and bet is like whoa 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 wait a second no she's not yeah yeah it's not like your entire life that's being attacked here tina right and and I do feel, especially for me, because I know that I do defend to tend to defend Tina's every action. I will mm-hmm. say that I think despite, and that is, that's the thing about white privilege, right? Is that you just don't know. Like mm-hmm. Tina wouldn't know that that is a thing that's like, like, why is that a bad thing to say? And it's like, mm-hmm. well, it's not, it's just ignorant, you know? Right, right. And like, I think she does it again when they're back in therapy and like you know because again she uses that we yeah when they're arguing with Yolanda and Beth's like stop yeah it's like I know you're trying to be a good partner Tina in this particular instance just leave this is one you can leave to bet it's okay like yeah my I think that you're right there's a lot of that I think that really feels like in this episode, especially against Yolanda, she really does have to stand on her own two feet against this woman, you know, and defend herself. And she, I don't think that she was offended. I don't think that she was upset that Tina was coming to her defense so much as she was, Tina was coming to her defense at the wrong time. Yeah. And she was taking on a battle that wasn't her own. Yes. I think. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of well intentions, when Bet is at um, the planet with Kit and Kit signing this contract um, <laughs> for an arrangement with Slim Daddy's song and getting rights to it or royalties or whatever the deal is, somehow Bet finds herself just inserting it. Just she just inserts herself right in there. Like Kit is already oh. like making the final arrangement. She just got to sign the dotted line and Bet comes in and is just like, no, we got to look over this. Like, Bet, do you yeah. have an, any idea what's going on here? Well, yeah. First of all, Bet, you are not an entertainment lawyer. You are literally no more qualified to look at this than Kit is. If anything, Kit is more qualified than you are yep. because she's been in the music industry for decades. Right. Like, do you think because you went to Yale, you somehow can read better than Kit can? Like, I, I don't, I don't, like, she, you're not a lawyer. And again, I think she had good intentions, but she was just inserting yeah. herself in something that she didn't. I think that line was really interesting when Kit said, you always have to take me down a notch. Yep. Yep. Because she's not wrong. Nope. And, and I don't think that Bet does it intentionally, but mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's the Melvin in her, you know, yeah, that she's always had to be one step better, one rung higher that, you know, just that competitive edge that that is how she is with everyone. Yeah. And especially because he instilled in her that Kit was sort of this 
almost this figure of everything Bet should aspire not to be. Sure. That I think Bet felt like, well, Kit, come on, we know that you're just gonna screw this up. So let the adult handle it. Like, right. So, well, in what one of the things I do love about Bet and Kit's relationship in this series is that Bet really kind of tones down this harsh judgment that she has of Kit over time and really starts to respect her as an equal and as her sister. Because I felt like a lot of times in season one, you can tell there was just kind of this um, this aura that Bet had around her when it came to interacting with Kit, like she was better than her. Yeah. And a lot of that goes away. You know, they still have their spats. I mean, they're sisters. They're, yeah. Yeah. But you see, you see Bet especially coming from more of a side of compassion when she's concerned about Kit rather than coming down on her. Yeah. Uh, so there is a moment when we kind of get that aerial view of the CAC. You know, James is letting Bet know that they've gotten those calls. They thought they were spam. And this is kind of when we really get into more of the nitty gritty that has to do with these evangelicals going against the CAC. Yeah, you mean when Bet magically has like five secretaries all of a sudden? Yeah, I didn't know she had so many, but there there was an exact moment where I felt like the this breakdown Bet has started. And it's at the moment when James tells her, you know, we've been getting these calls yada 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 and she goes to the door and she pauses before she walks out Mm. and you can kind of see you can see how overwhelmed she is she's not speaking Mm -hmm. she's just standing there but i feel like that is when the breakdown started because she she is all she is feeling it she is feeling it so much in that moment because i think that's when it clicks that it's home and work yep and neither is going away anytime soon yep exactly yeah and you can also see it one of the other notes i made is that you can see it too when she kind of when she had that interaction with kit she definitely got emotional oh yeah it's like when i mean this happens to me all the time i think it's a very human experience that when you have so much going on in the big things in your life and then that one little tiny interaction that has nothing to do with anything else that actually doesn't matter at all just goes a tiny bit wrong and you're like okay that's it I'm broken now I'm just gonna (laughs) cry for the rest of the day because I dropped my fries that I got from McDonald's and now I can't get out of bed for the next few days so well then there's so that's leaving the CAC at that point. But then when she makes her way back, you know, like these, these folks is this evangelical group is like really ramping up what, you know, their, their display of disgust when it comes to the provocation show. And when Bet goes after the guy, like, do you even, have you even seen the artwork? Yeah. Do you have any idea what you're talking about? Her, her rage and her, anger in that moment that is exactly how i feel about the gen q isn't canon motherfuckers like oh man how can you want people on your side when you don't even know what it is you are fighting against tell me that 
I love you so much for that connection. Just tell I me. I cannot even tell you. How can you stand by and say that you hate something so much that you haven't even fully watched yet? Yeah. I can't fucking stand it. Yeah. I can't. I mean, it's true. <laughs> That's the thing is I feel like if you are going to genuinely say that you dislike something and claim that it's coming from a quote-unquote academic or at all unbiased point of view sure you have to know the source material yeah and you can't know the source material if you've never seen the source material yeah exactly and i think so we just did not it wasn't was it last week or two weeks ago we just did the elcon after dark part two and, you know, one of the things that I really, really appreciate about our friend Ash is that she's an older, like, she's an older fan. She's watched El that word from the beginning, right? So mm -hmm. she's she's gone through the highs and lows of what it means to be a part of the fandom back then and now and, and all of that. And one of the things I can really appreciate about her outlook on the show is just appreciating it for what it is. Like, are we, you and I, me and you, Taylor, Brittany and Taylor, are we thrilled about every direction they went in Gen Q? Hell no. We're right. not. We're not. I mean, there's things that really do kind of get under my skin and have me question, like, who the hell are we talking about here? Because this is not the Tina and Bet I know. Right. But at the same time, I think one of the big aspects we're forgetting about here is that if you looked at yourself today versus who you were 10 years ago, are you making the same decisions that you would have made when someone who's- God, I hope not. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I certainly hope that that 31-year-old Brittany is not making the same choices that she was when she was 21. If 26-year-old Taylor is making the same decisions as 16-year-old Taylor, I'm in big trouble. Well, and exactly. So again, I'm not giving Gen Q all the props in the world, but I'm also- just very sick and tired of hearing this, you know, very harsh judgment of what's going on with Tibet, simply because, once again, we cannot ignore the fact that this couple still had issues when we left them in season six. Mm -hmm. so a lot of these themes are showing up from season one into season six. So it, it's just a, one of the most irritating aspects about this fandom to me. Yeah. And I think for me what really bothers me both from a fan standpoint and sort of from a professional standpoint and i know that i've talked about this with you know a couple of friends of mine who are also in the l word fandom and work in the industry mm -hmm. we've talked about this a lot because it's so frustrating to watch people do things that are simultaneously so destructive, so toxic, and so utterly pointless. Yes. Because if they're being seen at all, mm -hmm. which is very rare, yep. they're not being seen by anyone who can really do anything. Mm-hmm. If they are, they're deeply hurting people that they're, they claim to love. 
Right. And, you know, and that's very, very rare because uh, verified accounts on Twitter have this own special algorithm that like filters out a lot of stuff. So like they like Jennifer and Laurel are not seeing 90% of the stuff that gets tweeted at them just because of the way that verified Twitter accounts work. Sure. Um, but thank God for them. Yeah. Thank yeah. God. Yeah. And then again, you know, the person running like the official accounts is seeing it and just kind of going, okay, next. Like, yeah. You know, they're yeah. not involved with the production. They're not going to go running to Marja and be like, oh, look, 75 people liked this tweet. Like, yeah. You know, and, and the thing that, that gets me, I think, is that there is a way to engage with media decisions that you disagree with that is not hateful vitriol. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. And the hateful vitriol is not the way to affect change. Right. Eileen did not get Tibet back together in season five because people screamed at her. Right. She got them back together in season season five because people said, Eileen, this couple means so much to us. We love them. We felt they really represented us. And it's really affecting us to not see them together. Yeah. That is fine to say to actors and a showrunner and writers. Yeah. That is perfectly acceptable. Saying, fuck you, you ruined the show. You're a terrible writer. You're a talentless hack. You deserve to be canceled and never work again is not, and it's not going to do anything to help your case. Like, I just don't, it's just, yeah. I mean, I, you and I have talked about this endlessly. We could rant uh-huh. about it for hours. And at this point, I highly doubt anybody who is doing any of this is even listening to this podcast, but on no. the off chance that you are, or that you're seeing people who are doing this, it just, I've been part of other fandoms that do this too. And, you know, like, it's not the it's not the people who yell at the showrunner mm-hmm. that affect the change. Mm-hmm. Hashtag campaigns can be effective if they are incredibly popular. Mm-hmm. And if the message is more this matters and less fuck you. Right. Right. And that's the important difference. And I feel like even though a lot of like say the hashtag campaigns that I've seen have been a not nearly successful enough to matter at all but b even if they were a lot of the posts have been so negative as to be counterproductive right because it has not been like Tibet has represented me and made me feel like a happy ending is possible. It has been like, you have taken Tibet away from me and you must perish in the fires of hell. Like, which if that goes trending, Marge is not going to be like, oh, well, I guess I better get back Tibet back together then. She's just going to be like, I'm never going on Twitter again, which she probably has already done. Like, yeah, I don't think she's logged in in a long time. 
is so like i really don't know what these I, it just i get needing to vent fandom frustrations mm-hmm. hence what we're doing right now <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> Like, I don't want people to think that I'm saying, like, you can't be mad about what happens in a TV show. Like, that is part of consuming media. Sure. That is why stories matter, because they have impacts on their audiences. And that is why I think, again, both as a fan and a professional, that it is important that we hold showrunners and people who make our stories accountable yes however i don't think that the way to hold them accountable is screaming in their metaphorical social media face right because it doesn't do anything i think that we can both be upset that tibet is divorced while also being excited to see them on screen again even if it's going to be in a way that we're not exactly thrilled about. Like I, I right. look forward to seeing Jennifer and Laurel on screen again, because I do really enjoy Bet and Tina as characters. Exactly. So, so I'm not, am I like jumping for joy that they're apart? No, but I do look forward to what the, these, you know, writers will come up with for them. Yes. And I think that at the end of the day, You know, we have to be adult enough to say, yeah, we would love for it to happen. And we will be really, really sad if it doesn't. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't, we have to grieve and move on Mm -hmm. and listen to some of the people who are telling us that there are other aspects of the show that make them feel represented and make them feel seen right and respect that yeah and in calling for the show to be canceled just because we are grieving a couple that means a lot to us which is a very legitimate feeling to be going through Mm -hmm. but we have to be listening to those other voices too and realizing that in saying well we want the show canceled because the couple we love and the thing that makes us feel represented is gone now Mm -hmm. you're not just washing away your representation then you're washing away everyone else's representation too right well you know it's interesting because uh, i think about the show that you and i both really like which is this is us Mm -hmm. and this is us is a unique show in that they do flash forwards and flashbacks and present day and all those things and Jack Pearson is no doubt my favorite character, but we know that he died very early on in the storyline of this family, right? Mm -hmm. So we are seeing 30, 40 years of life without him. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think I've ever seen anyone in the fandom say like, Jack's dead, the show's vetoed, like I'm done. Because one one of the beautiful things that it's shown is that life, there is life after death with this, this family that have gone on and gone forward. And I think that to say that, you know, the show is nothing if Bet and Tina aren't together, well, that's pretty disrespectful to this daughter that they have raised together who we're still yeah. seeing grow in the show. And these two individuals who, if you don't care about them as, as separate people, how can you root for them as a couple? Exactly. So 
anyway, we'll jump off that soapbox and wrap <laughs> up this episode. All things tangential. All things tangential. We know, so we see group therapy continue on and uh, the, the most like, you know, poignant part of the show of this particular episode is when Bet says she's having this reflection. She doesn't say it out loud, but she's having this reflection when they're having this moment of silence as a group. And she's After like, Tina rallies everyone. Yeah. Saying what's going on with me, you know, am I falling apart? Am I falling out of love? Yeah. No, you're not. You're just being a dum-dum. Yeah. You're just like having a moment of panic. That doesn't mean that you need to, you know, say, I don't love my partner anymore. Of eight years. You're having the daddy blues exactly like Kit said. Right. Right. But you're Bet Porter. So you're making it a giant crisis. Yep. Yep. So what we, what we know is to come in this, this next episode is going to be a difficult one. Yes. Um, we see a, a, a huge high for them and then a huge low so buckle up yeah but uh yeah besides that do you have any final thoughts on the episode um i think just one line that kind of stuck out to me towards the end just as a final tina note because god forbid we end the episode on a bet note i thought it was really interesting when tina was giving that like little speech to kind of in typical tina fashion be like I know this is really awkward. It's okay. You know, it'll be better next time because she has to make everyone feel okay. Sure. You know, and she's talking about like why sharing feelings is so hard. And she says, you know, like, it's really hard. People are afraid to share because they're afraid that they might feel rejected. Mm -hmm. I thought that was so telling for her. Yeah. Because I think that that is exactly what she is so afraid of. Absolutely. Especially when it comes to Bet. I think she is so afraid of Bet reject, of opening herself up and saying, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I'm afraid of. And Bet being like, that's stupid. (laughs) Like, yeah. And not that Bet would do it maliciously, but just that, like, that's just how Bet is, you know? Bet yeah. doesn't think sometimes. She just says her reaction to things, not realizing that, like, oh, my partner just shared something deeply personal with me. Maybe I should take a second before I react off the cuff to it. And I just thought, I just thought that was a, again, because of Tina, you know, it, we have to pick up crumbs. Yeah. I thought that was a very interesting tidbit into why why perhaps she is not so great at talking, as we always say. Right. It's true. Well, this has been episode 13 of All Things Tibet. I'm Brittany. I'm Taylor. And we'll see you next time. This has been an episode of All Things Tibet podcast hosted by Taylor and Brittany. At this time, we do not have any sponsorships, but if you're interested in sponsoring us, please send us an email at allthingstibet at gmail.com. We can be found on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under All Things Tibet Podcast, and you can check out our main podcast profile at anchor.fm slash allthingstibet. We post new episodes every Tuesday, and we send all of our love to the Tibet fandom 
further support during this time as we get this brand new podcast off the ground. We will see you next week.